Good afternoon. It is 1 o'clock. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. A mix of sun and cloud, 27 degrees, 34 with the humidity. Justin Trudeau will be on hand to help SunFest celebrate its silver anniversary. According to the Prime Minister's office, Trudeau is scheduled to deliver brief remarks at the SunFest opening ceremony at roughly quarter after six tonight. But Karen Vecchio, the Conservative MP for Elgin Middlesex London, tells 980 CFPL she has some concerns with Trudeau's visit. First of all, it, we are a few months out from an election, so this is a political stop. We know that. And following that, we know that there's a, a huge fundraiser after this at 7 o'clock for $1,500 a plate. So he's going to be shaking hands, talking about how he's helping the middle class and helping the lower class, and then and meeting with his wealthy people at $1,500 a plate at 7 o'clock. As for SunFest, organizers are also marking its 25th anniversary with the largest lineup yet, with 40 acts. The festival runs tonight until Sunday, and as always, admission is free. With SunFest expected to draw thousands to Victoria Park, the Middlesex London Health Unit is reminding everyone to take precautions against the heat. The health unit has issued its second heat alert of the year for tomorrow, with temperatures forecast to reach 31 Celsius, feeling like 41 with the humidity. Police in Strathroy are investigating a fatal crash that killed a woman in her 20s. Emergency crews responded to a collision involving three vehicles on Adelaide Road near Old Drive just before 5.30 yesterday afternoon. Middlesex London EMS transported three people to Victoria Hospital. A 23-year-old woman was pronounced dead in hospital. Two men suffered non-life-threatening injuries. The investigation is ongoing by members of the Strathroy Caradoc Police Service Uniform Division and the OPP Collision Reconstruction Unit. Police are asking for any potential witnesses to come forward after some urns were damaged at a cemetery in Zora Township. An employee at the Ingersoll Rural Cemetery contacted Oxford OPP on Tuesday after noticing the urns had been tampered with. Investigators believe the damage happened sometime over the Canada Day long weekend. A damage estimate has not been provided. U.S. President Donald Trump is promising the show of a lifetime in Washington this 4th of July. The tanks are in place for the display of military muscle. Stephanie Ramos reports protesters are deploying the baby Trump balloon featured in anti-Trump protests in Europe. Activists with the group Code Pink, they were able to obtain a permit in order to fly a giant baby Trump balloon on the National Mall. And they say that that balloon will be in the president's line of sight when he is addressing the nation. Trump is calling his event a salute to America. He'll be making a speech this evening at the Lincoln Memorial in front of a ticket-only VIP crowd of Republican donors, administration and campaign officials and family members. Critics plan to protest what they see as a divisive intrusion on a traditionally unifying national holiday. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says U.S. President Donald Trump did raise the issue of two detained Canadians when he met with President Xi Jinping at the G20 summit in Japan last weekend. Yesterday, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesman accused Canada of being naive in relying on what he called a so-called ally. Trudeau fired back today, saying Canada, the U.S., and its other allies are all telling China it needs to follow the rule of law and other international standards. You're listening to 980 CFPL. Good afternoon, London. It is your Thursday afternoon edition of London Live right here on 980 CFPL. Your usual fantastic host, Mike Stubbs, continues his well-deserved vacation. And I'm in for just one more day today. I'm off tomorrow. So 
We are going to talk about a ton of stuff that's happening in the city, around the country. We're going to go from London to Toronto, out to the East Coast, talking about things in PEI, a plastic bag ban. Yeah, we'll talk to the Retail uh, Council of Canada, one of their um, top execs who's based out in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Get a read on the situation there with that new ban that's come into place as uh, more and more uh, businesses and governments look at banning single-use plastics and things of that nature. Uh, also, do you have a bike that you no longer want? Well, do we have an opportunity for you to get rid of that, free up some space in your shed or garage, and also help some people who would like a bike? Yeah. So we'll talk about what's going on there a little bit later in the program. But first... This is the story that's been dominating most of Canadian media uh, for, well, let's be honest, since the Raptors won the championship. Because once the hype around that uh, petered out, the next logical question was, where will Kawhi go? Will he stay or will he go? That's the question. And we've reached a fever pitch in terms of interest in the media and the public. Uh, Twitter, if you follow me, you know that I am quite active on there and I have seen tons of mentions of this in my feed. Someone else who's been following this ever so closely, his blood pressure has taken a hit from it, is Craig Needles. He is in studio with me uh, right now, and he's going to talk about, first of all, what is the current situation with Kawhi Watch? Where are we? What's happening? What do we know? What we actually for sure, for sure know <laughs> yeah. is not dissimilar than to what we for sure, for sure knew the day after the parade. <laughs> Great. Cool. <laughs> Here's what we know. We know that uh, there are multiple teams that would obviously like Kawhi Leonard to be uh, on their roster this season. Now, some of, the, some of the teams that perhaps were in it before have spent their salary cap space, the Nets, the Knicks. Uh, but it looks as though it has come down to the two Los Angeles teams and the Raptors. Now, Kawhi Leonard obviously has to make some decisions. Does he want to play with LeBron James and Anthony Davis with the Lakers? Does he want to sort of be the guy with the Clippers? Or does he want to run it back again and try to win another championship with basically the exact same group of people with the Raptors? Uh, there's all sorts of other things that are part of the decision. Uh, Drake is involved now, apparently <laughs> saying that uh, Kawhi can uh, uh, do some stuff with Drake's record label. There's all sorts of things going on, but what we actually firmly know is not all that much. Now, nothing. <laughs> some and nothing is close. Some uh-huh. NBA insiders, people who I trust as good NBA insiders, not the people who are making things up on Twitter. Jalen Rose, who played in the NBA for a long time. Frank Isola, who's a great writer for The Athletic, uh, have said it's uh, either 99% or 99.9%, sure, depending on which <laughs> of those two people you talk to, right, right. that Kawhi Leonard will return to the Raptors. But again... Until there's actually an announcement from Kawhi Leonard himself, I don't think anyone that's is going right. to believe what's happening. And today is July the 4th, yeah, and right. he, as you know, an American, is probably going to want to just enjoy today. Yes. But I saw this great tweet, and I, it said that if Kawhi were to announce today on July the 4th, it would be the biggest burn Canada has had against America since we burned down half the White House <laughs> in the War of 1812. <laughs> and I thought... That would be cool. <laughs> do it, Kawhi. <laughs> do it. Do it, Kawhi. So, like, as we've been saying, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, we'll get into the specifics of the media coverage in a minute, but it has been so intense. We've seen so many cameras focused on where he might be, where he might not be. It reminds me a little bit of this. They say he's only got half a tank left. Half a tank. We still got a lot of high-speed chasing to do. <laughs> I'll bet he's heading for Canada. They always do. 
Let's hope they always do. (laughs) Chopper 5 just lost its feet. (laughs) (laughs) So for anyone who wasn't sure, that was from Friends, Chandler talking to... uh, uh, not the bellhop at the uh, at the hotel, hotel but uh, that's right. They were following a high speed chase and it with intense speculation about how it was going to end. And this is exactly the high speed chase of Kawhi and where he will end up. So, I mean, I've, I don't know, like in recent memory, have we seen this much intensity focused on the movements yeah. of any one person? Like LeBron James when he was going to the Lakers last summer yeah. it was kind of like this, but okay. not this crazy for us. Mm hmm. But we look at just some of the things, the stories are surfaced on Twitter. Where are Kawhi's kids going to be enrolled in school? Right. Oh, this school says Kawhi's kids are enrolled. That doesn't necessarily mean yeah. anything. Uh, stories about, well, where's Kawhi going to live? Has he and, signed a yeah, lease? Yeah. What's going on with New Balance? Because that's yeah, the, uh, his sponsorship yeah, exactly. deal. Yeah, exactly. Endorsement. Uh, the whole thing. So it just feels as though every single movement is analyzed. When Kawhi showed up at the Blue Jays game, everyone's yeah. like, Kawhi loves it. You go, he's on vacation. <laughs> he's got the Blue Jays jersey on. Everyone's like, oh, he, he stay. So it's just been, it has been completely nuts. Well, something that I heard about yesterday was that they had different crews, like news crews from various outlets, mm-hmm. uh, following around different cars that Kawhi could be That's right. in. And here's the thing. When they were doing that chopper following around Kawhi thing yesterday on one of the... Uh, news stations yeah. doesn't matter which one no uh, <laughs> but when they were doing that they weren't even certain Kawhi was in the car yeah, like, could be this it. is the vehicle that Kawhi Leonard <laughs> might be in and honestly it felt like not dissimilar like uh, you take my reference go ahead say I, it I was going to say it felt not dissimilar to watching O.J. Simpson drive ah. a white Bronco or, or Al Cowling's drive a white Bronco down a California highway. OK, so my reference, because I was like, don't take this from me because I love it. Um, the people who were not clearly Kawhi, because there can only be yeah, one Kawhi. That's true. The, <laughs> I bet you any money. It was like uh, <laughs> Ray Liotta in Goodfellas where he's like. The, the chopper's following him and he feels like he's being watched and he feels like he's paranoid. He's like, Karen, there's a chopper. I swear it's following me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And it's like, no, no, no. It's like so these poor people who are being tailed by news choppers through their day in, in Toronto. Like, first of all, there's so much traffic. Like, they probably would have no idea that it's them being followed. But still, it just it seems very intense. And we as news people have been watching this and seeing uh, some of the speculation, like we said, about the houses and the schools for the kids. Um, does it feel like to you that we have gone over the top? We, a collective we, as media. You know, I think we probably have. And I, I get so. people want to know where Kawhi is going. It's yeah. a big deal. Mm-hmm. And if he comes back to the Raptors, they're probably the favorites to win the title again next yeah. year. Um but yeah, like we've, it's just, it, it's, it's gotten pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. And I saw some people tweeting yesterday, like uh, Kawhi Leonard lands back in Toronto. Maybe they got a TV at the place where they're going. Kawhi's like, oh, let's turn on the news. And the Raptors <laughs> managed to be like, ah, oh, let's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's sort of like we're stalking the Wait, poor guy. Is, it, is that this restaurant that we're in right now on the news? <laughs> <laughs> like if I was Kawhi, I mean, first of all, flattering. Yes. Like clearly that the whole nation is, is so excited about this for you. But I, I don't know. I think I'd be a little creeped out. Like, it just seems like we're all super fans right now, like stalking this poor guy. And look, well, there was super fan, uh, the Nav super fan, Batia. yeah, Nav Batia. He made an appeal like shortly after the championship, and he was like, Please, let's give Kawhi some privacy, let's not hound him. Because, you know, like, if you love something, 
let it go. Set it free. Yeah. If it comes back, then you know it's meant to be. And maybe that's what we have to do with Kawhi. Maybe all this pressure is just, it's not fair on him. Yeah, that's, it's, and you know what? I don't think he's going to, like, see something from CP24 and be like, well, that's it. I'm not going to the Raptors. I, I <laughs> Can't you imagine? I, could you, uh, uh, it's one I, ch- copter chase too many. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> But if it did, oh no, it would be so bad. <laughs> Could you bad. imagine the mob outside of like every news studio in the country? Oh my god, uh, you guys cost us Kawhi. <laughs> yeah, then I'd be like, look at the ratio in our tweets. Yeah. How many of you liked these tweets? Yeah. Like, you know, you're all part of this. We give the people what they want. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, I think he's still going to stick around, uh, but I, I don't think that he's going to like. Oh yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I want to uh, stay in, in in Toronto and stay with the Raptors, but I think a little out of hand on television. So forget it. I'm going to the Lakers. Yeah, I just yeah. Don't think that seems a bit a bit yeah. much to think that it would really sway in like that but in general well I guess for me if I were him (laughs) much about my life would be very different I'm terrible at basketball first of all Um, did you make 30 million dollars last year (laughs) no neither did I oh sad yeah <laughs> Nor does New Balance uh, sponsor either of our programming segments. They're talking on... to me about it, but anyway, that's, <laughs> oh, there. very yeah. nice. Um, but yeah, like if I was him, I think I would be more concerned about how I'm treated by the public through the rest of the year, as opposed to as free opposed agent to time? right now, yeah. because this is is not a good, uh, uh, I guess, barometer of yeah, like I agree the usual day to day way that he he's knows treated. what it's like to be a superstar basketball player in yeah. Toronto because he just spent a year yeah. being a superstar basketball player in Toronto. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's going to be. Because, yeah. but that would be like an honest consideration, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of quality of life. Because if he were to go to LA for either like the Lakers or uh, Clippers. the Clippers, uh, LA is, is rife with celebrities and mm-hmm. people would walk around and not really care unless you're a tourist, probably. He wouldn't even be the most famous guy on the Lakers. Yeah, exactly. The Lakers. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, which is kind of, as you pointed out, if he goes to the Clippers, then he's the guy, right? right? He's he's the star of that friend of the yep. of the of the team, uh, whereas you know the Lakers not so much. Clearly, mm. like massive star, but just obviously not the same as as the King LeBron. Right. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. All of these important I just, considerations. I just want him to stay so bad, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I know. I just, I just want the rap. Like, just think about. It. This is why I wanted to stay. And honestly, this is the, I don't know. It's not the only reason. I want the Raptors to obviously do very well all the time. Yeah. But this season of, oh, we're the defending champs and you got to come for us if you, mm. if you if you want the title. Yeah. Like, you know, we're the, we're the favorites until otherwise spoken. Yeah. Um, that goes away if Kawhi's on the team because like, oh, no, you're not the favorites because you only won the championship because of that guy and he's not there anymore. So. Right. Yeah. Not not just because of Kawhi. No, no, no. But he was uh, a massive part of if, it. If, yeah. if he was not there, they would not have won. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I've, I don't care for the idea. I just want that defending champion season and yeah. they won't get it if Kawhi's not there. So I. It won't I, be the same. It won't be the same. Yeah, that's fair. It won't be the same. Also, so, I'd, I'd like a chance for the Raptors to kind of silence the critics who say, uh, who who take shots at them because of all the injuries that Golden State had. Yeah. And, you know, they say that, oh, they, they would nearly have performed as well had it not been for, for those injuries and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, a lot of, obviously, the analysts have said there are always injuries. There are, yep. for any team, like, that's that's a part of the game and you shouldn't, you shouldn't say or, like, take shots at a team because of that. Right. So, well, here's my next question, and it is for our listening audience. For the public. It is for the public. I want to hear your thoughts on this, on any any part of the Kawhi saga. Like, have we Kawan too far with our media coverage? 
I know there's so many did puns. You say to Kawan? I did say Kawan. Have we Kawan too far? Gone too far with our love and obsession with Kawhi uh, and what's happening now with the decisions that are being made in his free agency? Or uh, do you want to talk about your hopes for next season? Why you want him to stay? This is honestly like what so many people are talking about right now. And I figure you probably have some thoughts on it. So give us a call. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. You can also call us uh, toll free if you're out of town. 1-866-354-8255. That's 1-866-354-8255. Or if you want to... Holler at us over the Twitterverse. You can do so. You can tweet at me, JessBrady980. You can also tweet at Craig Needles. Craig, what's your handle? At Needles on News is how you tweet at me that way. Well, there you go. So you can get at us over the phone. You can talk to us on Twitter as well. We both have our phones with us constantly because we're always connected, right. <laughs> as we do. Hey, I've got to know if Kawhi's going somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Twitter right now. <laughs> yeah. So we are. we have one call right now, and it is from the lovely Marilyn. Marilyn, what are your thoughts on Kawhi? Oh, I like him. Why not? But I wouldn't stand out in the heat just to get a glimpse of him, unless he was handing out $1,000 bills. <laughs> we never know. Maybe he'd be that should happy. do that, yeah. <laughs> hey, are you um, uh, Bill Brady's daughter? No, I'm not, oh. actually. Yeah, it's it's funny. Each of us, I, I met Bill uh, last year, I believe it was, for the very first time in person. And uh, he is an absolutely lovely gentleman. Isn't as, he as something? He is. Anyone well, who's met Bill did. knows. Yeah. Oh, we used to listen to him all the time. Well, I listened to him, too, of course. Yeah. But we've always listened to CFBL. And when I was a tiny little girl, they tell me I was two, but I must have been pushing three. My sister would take me up to the studio on Saturday mornings, and they had an amateur hour. Anyone that could blow a whistle could get on. So this particular day, I was on several times. So my sister taught me to sing, you know, the popular songs of the day. This is... About 1935, I was born, 37 or 38, say. And uh, Don Wright, well, he sat down to play for me without me noticing it. When I started singing and turned around and saw that it was Don Wright, not my sister, boy, did I carry on. And did they ever push my sister on that piano bench? And when I got home, my brother started making fun of me. He started going on, I want my sister, I want my sister. You know how brothers go. Aw. <laughs> well, Peyton and, and Charlotte will find out how that goes. I'm sure they will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how, the, how are they doing? They are wonderful, Marilyn. And and um, little Peyton, is he sitting up yet? Uh, he needs a little help, but uh, Charlotte likes that when he sits up on her uh, on on her lap. So uh, we have that... to get the watcher when that happens. Though. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, they'll play beautifully together because my sister and I did as children, as well, little children. But when we got in our teens, we didn't. Uh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that's the case, and I'm not looking forward to that portion. Thank you for the call, Marilyn. It was lovely Thank to chat you, with you. Dear. Thanks Bye-bye, so much Jessie. for calling, Marilyn. Bye-bye. Thank you, dear. Bye-bye. Bye. So we need to take a really quick break. I know we have Roger on the line, but we are going to go to break first. When we come back, we will hear from Roger and his thoughts on uh, the situation with Kauai and whether we've gone Kauan too far. <laughs> Welcome back to the program. We are talking about uh, the media 
just frenzy over what's going on with Kawhi Leonard and his free agency. Uh, and we we heard from Marilyn. She said that she thinks Kawhi is, is lovely, but she wouldn't stand out like so many people have to uh, <laughs> to get a glimpse of him or catch a glimpse of him. If you have thoughts on Kawhi, uh, any thoughts really about the free agency or about the media coverage, if you think it's gone a little bit haywire, give us a call 519-643-2222. Uh, someone who's been hanging on the line very patiently is Roger. Roger, thanks so much for calling in. What's going on? Hey, thank you for taking the call. I, I was curious about Marilyn. She said she wouldn't stand out there for Kawhi if he was giving out $1,000 bills. Oh, no, I think she that? said she would if he was handing out $1,000 bills. Oh, she would if he was giving out 1000 Because I was wondering, you know, the other celebrities coming to town today, Justin Trudeau, and I wonder if she would go out, because he's likely giving out $1,000 bills too to get elected. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. Do you think she'd stand out for that? You think she's a Trudeau fan? I don't know. I wouldn't ever speculate on Marilyn's politics. I don't know. I, I wouldn't. Bet you she's more a fan of his father. Th- I betcha. That is. A... She sounded like. She sounded like she was over forty. Well, I would never speculate about the age of a lady, so I I think we're going to have to cut off that speculation right now, just in case. Marilyn, don't worry. We'll we'll defend Uh, your (laughs) defend your honor. She doesn't sound a day (laughs) over twenty nine. She can defend defend her own. She's pretty strong at it. I can tell. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Roger, thank you. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Take care. Yeah. No. It's uh. It's it's very exciting about. Everything to do with Kawhi Leonard free agency. Do you think they'll throw a parade if uh, well, if they uh, the first parade <laughs> needed signs? some work? So maybe they can <laughs> get a get a redo on the parades. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that kind of wraps up our little chat about Kawhi. Now, I will just because Marilyn mentioned it. But before we go to news mm-hmm. with uh, Jacqueline LaBelle, uh, the whole Bill Brady thing because I get yes. that a lot actually. And as I was saying to Marilyn when I met. Bill uh, last year it was at some point I believe um, he asked if I get that question because he gets that question a lot if we are related and no in fact we are not from the same uh, branch of the Brady name tree <laughs> not at all it's just a coincidence that uh, we both have worked here and uh, he is lovely and I would be lucky to have um, even a, a portion of the career like his and uh, he is wonderful so Bill Thanks so much for all that you've done over your career and uh, and all the interactions that you've had with Londoners because you are very well loved for very good reason. Okay, we need to go to a break. And Craig, thanks so much for uh, coming in to chat with of me. Of course. And I will keep my fingers crossed for you for Kawhi's return to Toronto. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. My feeling is you won't find out till Monday. So you're going to have a tense weekend. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. Well. Oh. We'll see. We'll see. Now, after the break, we're going to be talking about something that might make some students a little tense, maybe. Changes to curriculum uh, in grade 10 for civics here in the province. Uh, The province announced earlier this week that they're looking at incorporating more um, math literacy, financial literacy, I should say, into that civics class. We're going to talk to Annie Kidder uh, from People for Education to get her take on this. That's coming up on London Live on 980 CFPL. Good afternoon. It is 1.30. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. Mix of sun and cloud, 29 degrees, 37 with the humidity. It's the unofficial start of London's summer festival season. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be on hand for tonight's opening ceremonies for Sunfest in Victoria Park. 
But afterwards, he'll be heading to the Delta Armories for a fundraising event, something local Conservative MP Karen Vecchio takes issue with. We didn't see this before with former governments. Um, you didn't see a lot of, you didn't see the, the Prime Minister out there doing fundraisers like this because we, it, people have called it cash for access and that's exactly what it is. And we have to be very, very cautious that there is a screen put up where when are we going into that political arena and actually expecting favours um, when somebody pays $1,500 a, a ticket. Sunfest, meantime, is also marking its 25th anniversary with its biggest lineup yet at 40 Acts. The major festival regularly draws some 200,000 visitors to Victoria Park over its four-day span. With Sunfest drawing thousands outdoors tomorrow, the Middlesex London Health Unit's reminding everyone to stay cool. Exactly a week after its first heat alert of the season was issued, the health unit has issued its second one-day alert for Friday. The current forecast calls for a high of 31 Celsius tomorrow, feeling like 41 with the humidity. Police say a vehicle crossed the center line and collided head-on with a pickup in a crash that left a 23-year-old woman dead near Strathroy. Emergency crews responded to Adelaide Road near Old Drive around 5.30 yesterday afternoon. The deceased was driving the northbound vehicle, which police say crossed the center line, clipped a southbound vehicle, and then crashed into a pickup truck head-on. The two men in the pickup were treated and released from hospital. The woman driving the vehicle that was clipped was not injured. The family has asked police not to release the name of the deceased. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says his government system for appointing judges is merit-based and transparent. But he did not specifically address a question about why five of the last six federally appointed judges in New Brunswick have personal connections to Liberal Cabinet Minister Dominic LeBlanc. Democracy Watch filed a complaint to the Ethics Commissioner after a report that one is LeBlanc's neighbor, a second is a relative, and three helped him pay off debt he accumulated during his 2008 run for the Liberal Party leadership. You're listening to 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. It is your Thursday afternoon edition of London Live. I hope you're not uh, baking in this extreme heat outside. It's very hot. Again, like I said yesterday, better than uh, being in the snow and having it be minus 20 with a wind chill. I will take this. Absolutely. It was a long winter and a very cold spring. So I'm going to soak up this heat and I'm going to not complain about it too much. That's my that's my effort. Now, there is a special weather statement in effect and also an advisory from the Middlesex London Health Unit. So we have details on all of that on our website, 980cfpl.ca. So you can certainly go there, check it out and find out everything that you should do and should not do during this heat wave. Well, it's not really, I shouldn't call it a heat wave because there is a specific threshold for that, but it is about a very hot weather. So before the news, I uh, told you that we were going to have a chat about some new changes uh, to the Ontario curriculum for grade 10 civics classes. And maybe this has some people sweating a little bit, although in general, I think the premise of these changes would be good because uh, as Global reported earlier this week, um, the new education minister for the province, Stephen Lecce, uh, who actually is a former uh, president of Western's student student council. As an FYI, he was when I was there at Western as a student nearly a decade ago. Um, they have unveiled this updated curriculum on Tuesday at uh, York University, and it has to do with the civics course. And it's about focusing on monetizable skills and the jobs of the future. So that's science, tech, engineering and math, also called, often called STEM, uh, but also financial literacy, which I think is a really important thing to be focusing on in this day and age. Um, but I, I wonder if it is 
exactly the type of literacy that kids should be should be learning in general. Um, so it's interesting because a lot of the times people and I think it's a valid criticism that our education system in, in the high school uh, years maybe doesn't focus on a lot of practical uh, skills sometimes, especially when it comes to money, like budgeting, how to do your taxes, things like that. I think that that would be really great content for, for kids to be learning as they move forward and mature and get ready to go out on their own, either to school or, or what have you, to higher education or if they want to enter the working world right away. Um yeah, so I think it's interesting that they're proposing these changes for the curriculum, but I wanted to get um, an insider look at how experts might think that this is going to roll out. And I'm very pleased to have on the line right now Annie Kidder. She's the executive director of People for Education. That's a nonpartisan group uh, that looks at education issues in the province. And Annie joins me on the line now. Annie, thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon to chat. It's totally great. Nice to talk about it. <laughs> so what do we think then of the announcement on Tuesday? Uh, what, what's your initial feeling on the, on the change to the grade 10 civics curriculum? Well, it, it definitely needed changing. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. I think that that, um, that course, the civics and careers course, um, has you know, garnered lots of uh, concern over the years, let's put it that way. The Student Trustees Association did a huge survey of students all over the province who went, you know, this is our least favorite course of all, and it's a compulsory course. Um, and it's very important in education that we are always, you know, that, that, that we're always ensuring that education is evolving, that it's, you know, we have a rapidly changing world, um, and education needs to evolve to, to reflect that. And I think it's also true that it is really important in this, um, in the careers, the civics and careers, um, that we understand, you know, we're, we released an annual report on schools a little while ago, and one of the things we said at the beginning of it is that kids who are starting school uh, in the fall are going to graduate in 2031, uh, and the world is going to look a lot different then. Um, and many people are saying that, that that a third of the jobs, at least, that, that that child would be looking at don't even exist right now. We don't even have any idea what they're going to be. So the thing about the, you know, it is really important, and we were uh, um, glad to see that the minister talked about transferable skills, too, because it's one thing to say we need some, you know, um, more, you know, practical skills, they're very important. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also, it's probably as important um, that we are educating young people so that they can, they have the capacity to keep on learning or to take what they've learned in one area and apply it to another one, or that they learn all of the skills that people are saying, um, employers are saying they need. They don't necessarily need one particular skill, but they need um, people who can collaborate or who can um, look at something with a kind of critical eye and go, ah, I see where the problem is here. Maybe if we just change this or who can deal with, you know, failing and trying over again and persisting, uh, um, being able to communicate well or particularly with, um, you know, with, with people with diverse perspectives. So I think that the careers, part of the careers uh, curriculum should be, there are careers out there. It is really important that you understand eventually you're going to be out there in the world um, and, under, and being able to look at yourself and understand your own capacities. But the other piece of it is ensuring that it is 2019, that what we are doing is we're not, you know, 
trying to get kids to get a skill that may be totally out of date by people even say that now about coding. It's like, oh, don't even worry about coding. Um, that's already, we're already past that. Um, so we, we, if we're going to just keep trying to keep up with the skill that's needed this year, uh, we're never going to be out ahead of this. And so I hope with this new curriculum, revised curriculum, that really what it is is about how do we make sure all, we, we're calling them the new basics, how do we make sure all those foundational skills are there in order to be able to live in the world and work? Now, on the other hand, <laughs> um, being able to live in the world does involve understanding taxes and understanding finances and all of those, those practical things Maybe the technology and the methods that we use will change over time, but um, but understanding your own responsibility for those things those are those are practical skills that yes, it would be a good idea for kids to have absolutely one one thing that i I liked uh, in 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 hearing about this it says that uh, the the new curriculum expectation says that students will be asked to develop a budget for their first year after graduation and compare different forms of borrowing to pay for any post-secondary education they plan to seek such as provincial student loans I think that's interesting well, that's a that's wake-up particularly call. up right now because they've cut yeah. how much money you can get too so um, <laughs> yeah at the same time there's less money out there no those are practical life skills but I mean, it, I think that you know. It, then we have to be careful about which practical life skill are we picking over mm. which other practical life skill. I mean, there used to be a very, very long time ago in grade seven and eight schools, um, there was something called family studies, mm-hmm. and it and it wasn't. It it had evolved far beyond the home ec of old. But those were also very, very practical. And there was something else called design and technology, which was practical in terms of. Then when I grow up and I live in my own apartment, I, you know, know how to use a screwdriver. Maybe screwdrivers will disappear too. But yes, financial skills are important, yeah. but there, there, are life, there, there are other life skills too. But that one, you know, that absolutely seems like, but they, sh- they can be teaching that in math. They can be teaching it in a lot of different mm-hmm. things. Yeah. It's interesting because there are often, well, I mean, there are constantly criticisms of curriculum no matter where you are. There are people who would uh, say that you don't need to know how to do, uh, I, I mean, it's been a long time since I was in high school math and I was not particularly good at it. I got by, I did okay, I managed to, to make it through, but there's so much that you use that is not practical um, that you are taught. And it, it's good for kids who are planning to go into one of those uh, more technical fields or in STEM, as they call it now, more math, science, engineering sort of a thing. But for those of us like myself who are more interested in the arts and English and the humanities, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Whereas um, people who are more math inclined and science inclined say, yeah, well, I don't need to know Shakespeare. But, but I would say that it's not necessarily about the specificness of learning Shakespeare, whereas the um, analysis of of those, uh, you know, world famous texts and classics, that's what it teaches you. It's the skills within reading it and, you know, analyzing and doing essays and things like that. That is an important thing. And it leads me kind of to this um, RBC uh, discussion that actually mm-hmm. happened uh, a little while ago, came out, um, talking about how the skills that we get from those liberal arts degrees are very important and they will be sought after by employers, as you said, uh, Annie, about that resiliency critical thinking, things that aren't necessarily taught by learning formulas in a STEM lab. But the thing is, is the, and the thing about STEM, too, that we have to be careful of, you know, because there are already lots of people going, no, 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 we don't need 
those particular, mm-hmm. the thing about science and technology and engineering is it is part of the rapid change. So teaching kids particular skills to do with how science, technology, and engineering is now may not be useful, and to your point, but it doesn't mean don't teach. Right. It, it doesn't mean, you know, yes, only humanities. It's actually making sure that throughout curriculum, so it's not preparing anybody for one job, and even that idea of monetizable skills, it's like the skills that are monetizable nowadays are exactly the ones you named. That RBC report is fabulous, but all employers are, like there is, it's so, you know, we have a lot of hard time agreeing about things, mm-hmm. but I think the agreement about what a monetizable skill is, is pretty strong. And it's not coding. That's not, you know, it may be instantly right now monetizable, but the monetizable skills are what the RBC calls human skills. And they're teachable. Like, they're skills. You can learn them in school. You should be learning them in school Mm -hmm. in all curriculum. But they are those ones about, you know, that I already said, about collaborating, about, like, being able to understand other people's perspectives so that you can, you know, work together. Being able to invent, you know, uh, sounds silly, but it's like solve problems that haven't even been thought of yet. Because that's the kind of entrepreneurial innovation innovative skills, is that a word? Sure. Um, that we need. So I think that that's where we have to be careful. There's a tendency sometimes because of politics to mm-hmm. to go, we're going to, I'm going to use an example from British Columbia and BC a few years ago, they actually wrote into the curriculum that they were going to, one of the main focuses for years was going to be ensuring that kids had skills to work in LNG, which is liquefied natural gas, because they thought this is going to be the way we're going to finance the province forever, but except the whole market died. Mm. And so now that isn't happening in British Columbia anymore. And you go, you have to really watch that, yeah. you know, thinking that K-12 to education in particular is for an immediate thing. Because, again, kids starting school now are going to graduate in 2031. And, and so we have to make sure that it is those broad areas that we're, along with practical stuff, I am not, I think, I have grown up children. I think if they'd learned to make a budget, it would have been a good idea. One of them <laughs> in the other room, um, but it's like, that would be great. Um, and those are really important, you know. So thinking of school yeah. that way as preparing you for life, for work, for families, for being an engaged citizen. That is the job of school. So, and I think it's great that we're always looking at curriculum and figuring out how to make it work better. Absolutely, yeah. To me, I agree with you. It should be a more of a bit of like a, a holistic approach where you're you're learning those basic skills, like you said, the broad strokes of of being able to uh, you know function with other people and um, the stuff that will carry you through to the future, as you've said. And also, you do need that that mix of practical things. So, I, I when we get into those debates, like you said, it's 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 there sometimes is some friction, I guess, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, deciding which side should win out or get more uh, more attention than the other but quite honestly like I I am even though I'm not great at math and I and I hated it going through school, I understood that I did need to do it. And so I would rather see everything get covered than only one side versus the other, because it is better to have uh, a broad base of, of, uh, of, of knowledge and attention paid. And after you learn the basics, then you can go on to specialize in, in what you want more so. But at least you'll be basically prepared for what you're walking into later on when you graduate. Mm-hmm. And it's understanding that the basics are way beyond, you know, that the guy invented the term, the three R's lived in 1795, and <laughs> we've progressed since yeah. then. So the basics can't just be, you know, reading, writing, and math. 
I think that that's, you know, we have to know that too. Yeah. So Absolutely. Yeah. It is all that. Absolutely. Well, Annie, I think that this has been a great conversation. And thank you so much for taking the time to parse through this with us and uh, give us your thoughts on this new uh, curriculum uh, update from the province on uh, civics and uh, careers class. Thanks so much for your time today. Okay, it was very nice to talk to you. You as well. Take care. That was Annie Kidder, the Executive Director of People for Education. So we need to take a quick break. When we come back, remember how I talked about if you had a bicycle hanging out in your shed or your garage and you don't want it anymore and it's taking up space? Well, we're going to tell you what you can do with that extra bicycle when we come back on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. It is your Thursday afternoon. It's a hot one out there. Lots of sunshine, blue sky, a little bit of cloud cover. Guess what the temperature is right now? It's 29 degrees. Yikes. Feeling like 37 with the Humidex right now. That's very, very warm. Yeah, so make sure that you are staying hydrated, London. Wear your sunscreen. Don't get a burn. Wear a hat, t-shirt, cool off as much as you can. Stay inside in the extreme heat of the day. Make sure you're staying safe. Drink lots of water. That is the thing to do right now. Yes. And, you know, if you're out and about, maybe you're walking or maybe you're riding a bike. Or you want to be riding a bike, but you're stuck walking. Ah. Then this next story is for you. If you need a bike, listen to this. Okay, I've intrigued you now. We're talking about bicycles. And that is because the city, City of London, is partnering with the Big Bike Giveaway, as they have in years previous. But this is a new portion of their partnership. We found out today that London's Enviro depots are now accepting bikes. So the Enviro Depots, you can you can bring certain recyclable materials, things that you you don't want to uh, deal with at your house anymore. There's everything is listed on on their websites as to what you can bring, but they have added in bicycles. It's fantastic. It's free of charge. All you have to do is drop it off, bikes, parts, accessories, all that good stuff, and it's going to a good cause. Now to explain this further, I have on the line Monica Hodgson. She's the co-owner of Big Bike Giveaway. Monica, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with us this afternoon. No problem. Thank you for having me. So this is a pretty exciting announcement that's come down from the city about the Enviro Depot uh, now accepting donations of bicycles uh, from the general public. But it's, it's not just for recycling. There's something really cool that's happening with those bicycles, and it involves Big Bike Giveaway. Yes. So Big Bike Giveaway is in its sixth year, and it's a London social enterprise. It's in this city, and we're giving free bicycles away each year to residents in need. That's great. And so when I first heard the news about the the Enviro Depot accepting the bicycles, I thought, well, that's good that they'll be recycled. But, you know, I, I would hope that they would, you know, instead be going out to people who need them. And then you read a little further and you find that that is exactly what's happening. Uh, so how did that partnership come about? 
Well, the City of London has sponsored Big Bike Giveaway for a number of years, almost since our inception. So they're, they've been deep in the, uh, in the growth of this organization, and uh, we just wanted to take it to the next level. One of our biggest challenges is finding bicycles that we can repair and then give away for free. So we normally, a half a dozen times a year, do community donation days, which is pretty much in a mall parking lot, do a shout-out to the community, they bring in their donations, and that's how we collect bikes. Well, the City of London wanted to make sure that this got bigger and bigger every year. So as our sponsor, they have made sure that we have the availability for residents to donate their bicycles, parts, accessories at any London Enviro Depot now during their operating hours, and those bikes will go to our program. That's fantastic. And and honestly, so often the key to getting the public involved in initiatives like this is convenience. And this is very convenient. People can take their bikes at any time. Uh, Like you said, during those operating hours, it's really simple. For sure. Exactly. And you know what? These bikes that will be dropped off at the Enviro Depot will go to Big Bike Giveaway, but also to an additional program in the city. And that's Squeaky Wheel Co-op. Now, they repair bikes for people. They teach people how to repair bikes. And they also have a program called Newcomers. Uh, it's free bikes for newcomers to our city. So we're going to share those bikes and make sure that they get to the proper people in the community. That's fantastic news. And now for anyone who, you know, like we've, we've done, I remember we've done stories here at 980 CFPL about Big Bike Giveaway in the past. Uh, you know, if, if you had to maybe have an estimate of how many bikes you guys have, have distributed to people in the city, do you have a rough number of how many you've given out? We do. Since 2014, our inception, we've given over over 1,100 bikes. So we do this in different ways each year. Um, a few times each year, we go straight to social agencies like My Sister's Place, Sanctuary London, or even Goodwill, Bridges Over Poverty program. We reach out to those people who are in major need all throughout the year, as well as on one day every year. And this year, it's September 8th. We give away hundreds of bicycles on one day. What's that like when, when you have put all of that work into it, you've uh, sourced out these bicycles from across the community, and then you have them all ready to go, and people come out, and what's it like to, to be there on that day? Well, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. So it's incredible every year. It's exciting all year to prepare, but on that day, even as a spectator, you have to come out and see this. It's hundreds of people in the range of 1,500 people actually coming out, and we give away between 300 and 400 bicycles. Uh, they just line up, first come, first serve, and everybody is is accepted to, to get a bicycle. Um, it's just as long as they get there early enough, they go really fast. And it feels so good. It feels so good to give people the empowerment of freedom to ride a bicycle, to get their groceries, to commute, to do whatever they want to, just uh, live a healthier lifestyle. It feels great. And it's very timely, too, because, you know, in London, we've obviously had lots of discussions about bike lanes in the city and uh, just uh, trying to get people to be more active in general, but also uh, to make use of the pathways that we do have. And it's it's nice to see these types of initiatives that are allowing people to engage more in that type of infrastructure, which is there and being developed. Of course. I mean, the City of London does an incredible job um, maintaining our TVP system. Um, we, we, you know, they work on the infrastructure. We have a great group of advocates in the city with positive results, and we are growing with infrastructure for cycling. But period, bottom line, is that active transportation piece. If you're a person who believes in it, this is the program you want to support. 
And so, Monica, if there uh, is there a, a particular group that uh, you would really like to see a bunch of bikes come out for? Like, are you looking for kids bikes or adult bikes? Anything in particular that we could kind of, you know, put the call out to the public for? For sure. I mean, every year is different. So this year we actually are low on adult bikes and adult bikes for a mid-range size. When you come out to Big Bike Giveaway, the bicycle must fit you in order for you to get the bike. That is one rule that we have. And right now, at this point in the year, we're low on, on adult bicycles that fit a person that is about five and five and a half feet. So if you're an average person <laughs> looking to donate that average bicycle, we're, we're definitely in need right now. Fantastic. All right. And so as we now know, they can drop off those bikes at any Enviro Depot and then they're done. They've contributed and that's great. Fabulous. And I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Monica, thank you for your time today. We appreciate learning more about this and uh, good luck as you go on collecting things for the event in September. Good stuff. Have a great day, everyone. All right. Now, if you want some more information about the Big Bike Giveaway, you can go to their website, www.bigbikegiveaway.ca. We need to take a quick break. We will be back with more on London Live on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the show. It is your Thursday afternoon edition of London Live. We are into our second hour. As always, the show flies by, it seems like. Goes by very quickly. And... Up next, we are talking about a story that came up a few days ago, but it is important and it's worth talking about. It is a development through the Humane Society of London and Middlesex. The folks over there do fantastic work. Um, They've launched a new division in response to changes from the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Now, if you recall, back in March, the OSPCA uh, basically told the Ontario government that it would no longer be investigating and enforcing animal cruelty laws. Uh, It gave the province like a three-month transition phase. And so the OSPCA officially uh, relinquished its duties as of June 28th. We have the story up on our website, 980CFPL. Now, the the difference here and then the news from the Humane Society is that they've started an animal protection division, or rather not started because they had one, they had officers in the first place. But their animal protection division is now taking over from where the OSPCA left off. So they'll be doing investigations and enforcement duties for London and Middlesex County, as well as Elgin and Oxford counties. So... And the other good thing about this that uh, Humane Society officials have said is that this is not impacting um, the organization's budget. Uh, this funding is coming from the province. They're they're going to handle the funding for this for like the next six months, I believe it is. And then that's as the province works out a new um, act to handle animal cruelty concerns and, and things of that nature. So it's it's good news that we have a local organization that's taking up the reins of this. And again, I can't stress enough how important the work that uh, Humane Society of London Middlesex does. They are fantastic people there. And it's also an organization that's funded like entirely by private and corporate donations, like private individuals who are um, making donations of that nature. So they don't get government cash in general for their operations. So they, they do a lot of good work on uh, a type budget. So, you know, that's we're not knocking the Humane Society here whatsoever. We are questioning, however, the need for them to do this in the first place and uh, that it is very unfortunate that we're in this situation. So to talk more about that is Liz White. She's the director of Animal Alliance of Canada, and she joins me on the line now. Liz, thanks so much for taking the time to be with me this afternoon. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. 
So, Liz, tell me a little bit, first of all, about your reaction to uh, this situation. Like we, as I said, we found out in March uh, that the OSPCA uh, was kind of waving the white flag saying, we're, we're done here. We can't do this anymore. Uh, take us back to that initial reaction from you to hearing that. Well, I think we got tons of calls into our office at Animal Alliance. People were terribly worried about, you know, what was going to happen to the animals that, uh, for when people called in on cruelty complaints and neglect complaints and such. And, uh, but at, because the OSPCA, the head office, not, these are not like the branches and the affiliates, but the head office said that they weren't going to do it anymore and then promised the government an extension till pretty much the end of June, mm-hmm. um, which is really only three months for the government to react to what had been a 100-year activity by the OSPCA. And so um, it became a bit of a crisis. But I think uh, the government and the uh, affiliates, uh, SPCA affiliates, have really stepped up to the plate on this one. The government has taken the uh, its responsibility unto itself. They've appointed an OPP officer to uh, head it up and to um, give... Uh, police powers to the SPCAs, and so it's really it's it's exactly we we did a uh, paper called the Blueprint for Change, and this is exactly what we recommended to the government. I'm hoping that they'll implement it in the long term and and um, bring in a progressive piece of legislation because they have to redo the OSPCA Act as well. Yeah, there's lots of uh, lots of discussions that are happening right now, as as we were saying that um, they're renegotiating, or I shouldn't say renegotiating, but working to come up with a new agreement over the next six months. So we do have a little bit of breathing room, and uh, the local affiliate agencies are are taking over here. Uh, ideally, uh, Liz, what would you like to see come out of this in six months' time? Where would you like to see us? Our recommendation to the government is that they. Take, they create a provincial animal welfare entity within the solicitor general's uh, mandate and that that entity coordinate across the province uh, with police, with humane societies, with animal control and bylaw officers um, so that you maximize, as they are doing right now, you maximize coverage across the province um, without having to pour enormous bucks into the whole process. So taking the $5.5 million that they gave to the OSPCA for doing this job and topping it up so that it comes out to about $10 million, we estimate that if $10 million were granted to the Provincial Animal Welfare Agency, that we would have a pretty good system in place. And now we know that many of the affiliates of the OSPCA are stepping up to actually do the job um, and so there, you know, because it's a big province and not everybody has an OSPCA in their, uh, community that there are going to be other entities that will be called upon. But the fact of the matter is the government's calling upon existing structures to actually implement a much broader and I think much more effective, um, animal welfare program. Yeah, it's it's something that um, you know you want to make sure is covered off, and that uh, that our animals in the province are are going to have protections and and have people looking out for them, which they they do through great organizations like uh, Humane Society of London Middlesex. It's it, and I I'd just like to hearken back to what you said at at first there, uh, Liz, about people calling in with with grave concerns because when we when we look at animal rights issues and pets and things of that nature, no one wants to see animals mistreated. Really. 
really. And it's it's a very emotional thing, and people were very concerned off the bat. And I'm not really surprised. No, and I think you know what was interesting about the calls is they that you know, we always get a lot of calls about dogs and cats. But when the OSPCA said earlier, before they said they weren't going to do the whole thing anymore, they said we're no longer going to do farm animals. You know, well, we're talking about a lot of farm animals in Ontario that would have absolutely no protection. Um, and so I th- I, I'm not quite sure how the government's going to grapple with this. I think some of the SPCAs and shelters um, have done... Uh, uh, you know, uh, animal ag- agricultural animals in the past and have expertise. Um, but it was really interesting because I got a complaint. And I, so I called uh, OMAFRA, be, uh, the Interior Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, who I was told would probably take on the responsibility. And the person said, well, we actually haven't been told what to do, but she was extremely helpful. She decided she was going to go and investigate. She called the OPP to see if they would accompany her because it was on a private property situation, which makes it more complicated. So, in fact, it looks like to me that situations are actually unfolding exactly the way we would want them to unfold. So, you know, some of the issues are about real cruelty, you know, starvation, beatings, all sorts of mistreatments. But a lot of what we deal with and they deal with are neglect issues. Mm. Dogs left out in the backyard with no shelter, you know, no potable water, horses left out in a field with, you know, no visible hay and no water. You know, these sort of things which are clearly cruel but consider don't rise to the probably don't rise to the criminal aspect which would bring in the police. So I think the approach that's happening right now is 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 uh, really seems to be exactly what we were hoping would happen. Well, that is that is good. Then it's it's a silver lining out of uh, what was initially most likely a very uh, jarring uh, statement from the OSPCA officials back in March because it was a shock when we when we heard that because a lot of people were like, "What is going to happen?" Then right. it, it left people with a lot of questions and feeling uneasy. You know, I think it was. I think as terrible as it was to go through all that time and try and figure out what to do with the uh, animals, is I think it's a really good thing. It's we're past the time when private donors in organizations are should be paying for the responsibility of enforcement of humane legislation across the country. And I know across the country, it's mostly the SPCAs that do it. But I think we're going to be, and this government, interestingly, is going to be cutting edge on this stuff. Other provinces are going to be looking at how do they pull this together? What does it look like? And will the government take the responsibility unto itself to actually manage the whole portfolio. And I think um, if, if we are able to get a really good piece of legislation and really good enforcement part of it, then we are going to be a cutting edge province. Um, uh, in Canada as to how humane issues are going to be dealt with. Very interesting. Well, Liz, we will uh, check back in with you, I'm sure, as this uh, situation develops and we see how things roll out. And, and thank you so much for your time this afternoon in, in chatting about your reaction to these uh, affiliate agencies coming up and, uh, and getting that government cash to help take over the OSPCA duties. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So there you have it.
It's good. It's, it is good news that uh, the skilled officers, enforcement officers over at the Humane Society of London Middlesex are on the case here and they are working hard to make sure the animals in the region are uh, taken care of and that they're just, you know, not suffering and that there are consequences to poor treatment. Now, speaking of the Humane Society of London Middlesex, they've sent out a release and it has to do with this extreme heat that we were talking about earlier. It is very hot out there. And so officials want to make sure that pet owners, uh, even just general citizens who are out and about, if they see, uh, you know, you know, a concerning situation that it's being addressed. So especially speaking to owners, please, for the love of God, do not leave your animals in a vehicle that is off, that there's no AC on in, that you're not in with them. Please just leave your pets at home if that's the case. Keep them where they're nice and comfortable and cool. Do not leave them in a vehicle. Make sure that they are well hydrated, just like you need to be well hydrated. Also, remember, asphalt out there, pavement, sidewalks, really hot <laughs> with all this heat. And that's tough on their little paws, on your on your dogs and cats you know, make sure that you're not taking them out uh, when it's crazy, crazy hot heat. So just keep them hydrated. Do not leave them in a vehicle that's locked without the AC on and that you're not in. Leave them at home. And uh, yeah, be mindful of their little paws. Okay, so let's just everyone take care of our furry friends and make sure that they're doing okay in this heat. And we want you to do okay in this heat, too. So make sure you're staying hydrated and out of the extreme heat during the day. All right. We need to take a quick break. We will be right back on London Live on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. I am, in fact, Jess Brady. They've put me on the other side of the talk booth this week. Usually I sit where producer Kelly is when I read the morning news with Jake Jeffrey. But no, Mike Stubbs is on vacation, so I'm filling in. This is my last show of the week. And Mike is back with you on Monday. So there has been a lot of discussion in London right across the province and across the country, especially in the last few weeks, about plastic. There's a lot of efforts locally, there are a lot of efforts locally, uh, to reduce our waste here in the city. Uh, lots of uh, push to use reusable bags when you go to the grocery store, that sort of thing. The Trudeau uh, Liberal government announced uh, in the last few weeks uh, that it's looking at an outright ban on single-use plastics, some of them, by I believe it's 2020. So there's lots of discussion right now about the use of plastics, how we need to scale back on that for the for the good of the environment. And there's been another development this week specifically in the country. PEI, Prince Edward Island, banned plastic bags as of Canada Day. So Monday, July the 1st. And so the first province to do so. And... It's interesting. They 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 knew this was coming for a little while. We'll get into that and and the kind of the timeline of that in in a second. But yeah, so they're they're now using retailers now have to uh, offer paper bags or higher quality reusable bags. It's very interesting. First province in the country to do so. So joining me on the line to talk about this is Jim Cormier. He's the Atlantic Director of the Retail Council of Canada. He's based in Halifax, and he joins me now to discuss how this is rolling out. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. We appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. So from the Retail Council's perspective, uh, I mean, obviously, it would have been known that this law was coming into effect on Canada Day for quite some time. Uh, what was kind of the reaction from your membership uh, to this to this ban? 
Well, look, you know, when it comes to retail, uh, it's such an ultra-competitive industry that retailers are nothing if not adaptable. And, uh, you know, there's the pace of change in the retail sector. It's, uh, it's at a breakneck speed. And so when it comes to things like this, the, given the fact that the PEI government gave us one year to adjust, they passed the legislation in June of last year. It came into effect on July 1st of this year. So that allowed one year for retailers to get rid of their existing stock of single-use plastic bags, to start sourcing paper bags that they uh, they can now use but they have to charge, and just to figure out the what's, why's, and wherefores of, uh, you know, getting their, uh, their supply to come in and uh, just dealing with customers to make sure that everybody is prepared. And uh, so far, so good. You know, retailers, as I mentioned, very adaptable. And, uh, you know, everything I'm hearing from members, it's early days, but is that uh, people have adjusted quite well. That's good. And I, I feel like most Canadians, uh, the discussion about uh, lowering our use of plastics, uh, especially single use ones, uh, it, it's, it's been in the, in the, I guess, in the offing for quite some time. Like we've been talking about this, uh, you know, even the federal government is stepping up in the last few weeks and announcing uh, the move to ban single use plastics. So it's, it's not, um, like you said, this wasn't a surprise. And it does seem like even retailers probably have seen a shift before this legislation was even announced. Well, you know, every part of the country is different. And, of course, uh, from B.C. through to Newfoundland, there's been action being taken on this uh, at the municipal level. And, you know, a ban is not the preferred approach for the Retail Council of Canada. There are a lot of other uh, measures that can be taken through memorandums of understanding uh, where, you know, targets are set and retailers meet those targets, but they do so in such a way that works best for their business. Those are the approaches we would have preferred. That said, uh, when we saw in places like Prince Edward Island where the province was going to move forward with this, regardless of uh, the opinions of the retail sector, we took the time to work with them to improve the legislation to make it as palatable as possible. And to their credit, they did work with us. And the original piece of legislation, we could not have supported, but we put in six or seven different amendments that, uh, that were taken up by the government. And to their credit, they, uh, they included every one of our amendments into the legislation. You know, what we want to avoid is situations like you see in the greater Montreal area, where you have municipalities taking action, but doing so in an unharmonized manner. There's about 17 different municipal units in the greater Montreal area. Most of them have taken action on single-use plastic bags, but they've all done so in different ways. Some different levels of thickness uh, in the plastic bag are allowed. Some are charging fees, some are not. Some have done nothing. It's an absolute mess for retailers, especially a chain retailer that may have a store in multiple communities. Imagine down in southern Ontario where you guys are, if you had neighboring communities all doing different things. That creates problems on logistics when it comes to uh, supplying your store. It creates havoc for customers, and it uh, creates unhappy customers, and we want to avoid that. So what we've been doing, uh, myself and my colleagues all across the country, is when we've seen municipal units that are bound and determined to take action, at the least we've said to them, please look at what your other neighboring municipal units are doing and try to harmonize to the best extent possible with what they are doing. We've had some success. You know, my colleagues in Ontario have been working hard on that. Uh, myself, personally, I can say that in uh, provinces like New Brunswick, I've been working with all the different municipalities in the greater Moncton area, which is, again, a retail hub for Atlantic Canada, to say, you guys are determined that you're going to do this, so please pass identical legislation, or excuse me, in this case, identical bylaws. They've now done that. Uh, they just passed... Uh, 
bylaws in the last two weeks, and not only are they harmonized with each other, so Moncton, Dieppe, Riverview, these spots in the greater Moncton area, but they also took the extra step and they harmonized it with the legislation in Prince Edward Island. So with that, at least for retailers, we can live with that, where we know that we're following the same rules for the multiple stores that we may have in an area, and they're not making us reinvent the wheel every single time. Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable approach because, as as you said, like it, it would create chaos. And the last thing anyone really wants is a slapdash approach to things, right? You want to make sure that it is consistent and not only, obviously, for retailers who bear a lot of the burden of making sure that they're, that they're complying or all of the burden, really, to make sure they're complying, but also for consumers, right? That to just have that consistency is important for everybody. Customer service is everything when it comes to the retail sector. You know, we're we're battling with uh, online retailers that are outside of this country um, who happen to ship products to your door that are heavily uh, packaged, by the way. Uh, so that's uh, maybe a conversation for another day. Uh, but we're also dealing with competition from across the country. So, you know, we need to do what we can to make it as seamless a customer service experience as possible. And for governments, they do not want to have, if they're trying to change the hearts and minds of individuals in the the London area or the rest of Ontario, they need to do so in such a way where they're, they're bringing people along step by step. Don't upset them needlessly by making them bite off more than they can chew. So if you can do something in a harmonized manner, you know, if it was provincial legislation, if they chose to do so, provincial legislation at least creates harmony from one end of Ontario to the other. The federal government announcement, you know, we'll see what happens with that after the election. But if they come up with standardized rules that are the same from St. John's, Newfoundland through to Victoria, British Columbia, those are then things where retailers can look and say, look, everybody's playing from, the, uh, from a level playing field. We all follow the same rules. Again, it may not be our number one priority of what we were looking for, but at least in this case, we can say government understands that there are some business realities here. So we're giving a little, they're giving a little, let's move on together. Love that. The idea of compromise and uh, listening. I mean, sometimes it feels like it's rare in this day and age, especially at the political level. But I like uh, hearing that, uh, you know, uh, that the Retail Council and, you know, PEI's government and other groups out on the East Coast are are doing that. You know, you're putting that model into practice. And it gives me hope that maybe we can see more of that in uh, in other areas of the country. And as we move forward with these discussions, as you've said, I, I hope that's what we see happening because it really is for the best for everyone. That's true. And, and again, it, it depends on the region. You know, here it's a bit more sensitive in Atlantic Canada, given that virtually all of the provinces here are almost completely surrounded by water. So you have the extra uh, sensitivity to the, the impact on marine life. Now, part of this, of course, has been politics in that, you know, most studies are showing that the, the plastic impact on the marine environment is not coming from single-use plastic bags, not to the same extent that it's coming from plastic fishing gear, uh, microbeads that come from things like cosmetics that have been in the ocean for a number of years. Those are the bigger culprits. That said, plastic bags are very visible. It's easy. It's the low-hanging fruit for government. So that's why we've said, look, you know, there've been a, and there was an awful lot of political noise on this that wasn't based on fact. So let's start working with the facts. Let's look at some of the ways that we, all of us, can reduce our environmental footprint. Uh, but let's do so in a way that's not needlessly punitive for businesses. And, you know, we think that we're starting to achieve that here in Atlantic Canada. And again, I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll be taking some steps uh, in the near future in provinces like Ontario. 
Yes, I would uh, tend to agree with all of that. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Uh, we appreciate you uh, taking the time out to chat with us about this and, and how the uh, Retail Council is, is uh, you know, working with the governments there and uh, how things are rolling out. So thank you so much for your time. No problem. And just remind all your viewers, to, or all of your listeners, to uh, take the time and go out and support the retailers in their local communities. Absolutely. That's something we absolutely want to hear. So thanks again, Jim, and uh, all the best to you. All right. Take care. You too. We're late. We're late for news. We have to go to Jacqueline LaBelle now for our news update on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. We are into our last half hour. Where has the time gone? It flies by. Gets me every time. It's crazy. So you know what also could fly by? Time when you are watching Netflix or watching TV in general. Maybe you have an HBO subscription. Yeah, time can fly. You can get lost in binge watching. Here's something, though, that might be coming to streaming, or I shouldn't say might be because it definitely is. It's already on the rise. We've heard about recently how NBC is going to be taking back The Office from Netflix for its own streaming platform. Apparently that's on the horizon in the next couple of years. I'm just going to say I'm really glad that I got through the entire series <laughs> last uh, summer slash early fall. I had never watched The Office in its entirety. I had seen a smattering of episodes here and there. Uh, but then last summer I thought, nah, it's time. I'm going to sit down and watch this so that I can be in the loop for all the <laughs> uh, cultural references in, uh, well, pop culture references, I should say. Um when everyone talks about The Office. And I do not regret my decision. It was wonderful. It was an emotional ride watching it over a couple of months that I binged it. It was it was intense. But yeah, so the moral of that story is that I'm glad I did that because NBC, as I said, is taking that series away from Netflix so that it can go onto its own streaming platform. More and more, we are hearing about networks, big networks from the TV, uh, coming up with their own streaming services. We have, obviously, Netflix for a long time was the only player in the game. But now, there's like a whole roster full of platforms. You've Hulu is out there, uh, Crave TV in Canada. Like, there's, there's, a, there's just a bunch of them, right? We're hearing about all the deals that... Um, Different studios, even in the states, are are coming up with uh, Disney, um, Fox, another network that's that's getting involved in this. Apparently, there's a an article from the Atlantic, and it says the Wild West era of streaming TV is ending, and and that it's 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 kind of coming full circle. We went from having cable packages that we paid a ton for to have all the channels under the sun. But also all the stuff that may not really appeal to you. You had to, you got a ton of stuff for maybe just a few things to make sure that you could watch it all the time. And then people started that whole phenomenon of cutting the cord, right? Well, that was in order to have everything that was on Netflix for a fraction of the price that you would pay for your cable. And you got to watch it when you wanted, no problem. You weren't beholden to the big networks anymore. Well, now, the networks are catching up is the gist of this article and they all have their own platforms or they will in the near future and that means that people now have to pay for those individual platforms so i have a bunch of friends who are uh big game of thrones fans and so they were paying for hbo in order to have access to that plus their netflix and other people have amazon prime that they can get certain tv content through there uh so it's just becoming more and more and more and more until you are basically back 
with the cable platform again. It's very interesting. Very interesting indeed. So now joining me to talk a bit more about this uh, evolution, I guess, of streaming is Carmi Levy. He's uh, a London-based tech analyst and journalist, and he joins me now to discuss it a little bit more. Carmi, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. I appreciate it. So great to be with you, Janice. It's always a pleasure chatting with you, and I feel like this will be no different. It's funny, though. Uh, you know, all the people who thought they were going to be able to cut the cord, simplify their life by viewing things online in, in maybe one place, not so much we're hearing. It sounds like more and more networks are, are getting into the streaming game. It, it feels like the field is is getting a little uh, a little crowded. It is. I mean, you know, it used to be kind of a one, a one, a one uh, player game. Netflix was the only real serious streaming game in town. They kind of invented the space. They were the dominant player for so many years. And if you were going to cut the cord, basically that was your only real choice. Um, but now that's changing. In the U.S., lots of new players are coming along. Disney has announced uh, that it's going to introduce a new service next year. Uh, south of the border, but you never know. We may end up having it in Canada as well. Apple upgrading its television offerings as well. It's going to be called Apple TV Plus, and that will eventually be available in Canada. Um, and uh, in the U.S., there was a massive merger. AT&T bought Time Warner earlier this year. They created something called Warner Media, and they're going to go after uh, Netflix and Disney and Apple as well. So suddenly you have all these companies that are kind of circling around each other, uh, recognizing that the future of media is streaming, and they all want a piece of that pie. They're not willing to let Netflix have the, the playing field all to itself. It's funny because, uh, you know, the the whole attraction of of leaving the cable, I guess, behind the traditional TV model, it was it was in a way it was kind of like, ha ha, take that, you cable companies. But now the system always seems to get back at us, eh? Yeah, exactly. You know, we all thought that, you know, if we cut the cord, we're going to save huge amounts of money while we kind of, you know, you know, give our thumb to the man and basically say, no, you know what, we're not going to pay your massive cable and satellite subscriptions every month. We're going to go with a streaming option. We're going to cut the cord. We're going to save huge amounts of money, and we're going to be able to watch what we want, when we want to watch it, on any device, anywhere. And to a certain extent, that's true. But if we thought we were going to get a free lunch, unfortunately, that's not the case. Because no longer can you just subscribe to Netflix for what used to be eight bucks a month, a lot more expensive now, and get everything that you wanted. Now, because all of these new players are coming into the market, so for example, Disney, well, Disney doesn't want its stuff available on Netflix anymore. It wants its its content, its old Disney movies, its Pixar, all of its properties to be available only on its service. So if you want to watch Disney movies, guess what? Or if you want to watch Toy Story, you're not going to be watching it on Netflix in future. You're going to have to subscribe to Disney as well. Apple also is going to have a lot of exclusive content. Warner Media is going to have tons of exclusive content. They own uh, CNN. They own uh, TBS. They own Turner Classic Movies, the Cartoon Network. If there's stuff on there that you want to watch, guess what? Now you have to subscribe to a third option. Uh, there are some analysts who say maybe up to five, six, or seven if you want to get all the things you want to watch, like maybe The Office or Friends, which eventually aren't going to be on Netflix either. So, uh, you know, eventually your bill, it's going to be just as expensive as your cable and satellite bill is today. 
Uh, and that whole concept of cutting the cord, well, you know, you're getting the same content that you did, except instead of getting it through channels on a satellite or a cable subscription, now you're getting it online. Not a whole lot has changed. It's funny, eh? But the idea of having so many different subscriptions, I don't know, maybe I'm an anomaly here. Maybe a lot, a lot of people wouldn't feel like I do, but I just I feel like it's so complicated. I'm like, oh, there's too many. At least when it was all on your TV, it was in one place. Like you didn't have to switch and log in and go to different sites and da 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 da. Like to me, it's just like I want to wash my hands of it. I don't want to have that many. I would rather have it on my TV. And that's where we're kind of losing convenience that we've had for so many decades with cable and satellite, that you basically pay once to one company, and all of your stuff is available through one interface, one, you know, sort of one path. And so if you want to switch channels, it's pretty easy. You don't have to jump through different hoops just to watch something else. Whereas now, if you're subscribing to three, four, five different streaming services, which you're probably going to have to if you want to watch all the stuff that you like that you're getting now. Uh, you're going to have to jump through different interfaces. You're going to have to pay three, four, five, six plus bills every month. And then every time you want to switch from one to another, uh, good luck doing that because you're going to have different remote controls, different apps, different services, uh, and good luck figuring that out even worse. Good luck trying to get your elderly mom and dad to figure that out you're going to be tech support for them for a while because the future of television is a lot more complex than the present. Uh, I don't like the sound of this, Carmi. <laughs> Not fun. <laughs> Not fun at all. And, and, you know, we often say that technology solves problems. In this case, it really isn't because the same companies that were happily selling us cable and satellite for decades, well, they're not going to give up without a fight. They're not going to watch that market die uh, under their feet and do nothing. They're going to jump into the streaming market, which is the one that's eating their lunch. Uh, no one you know, loses an opportunity to remain competitive. And so if you're a consumer, if you thought that you were going to get something of, of a free lunch with streaming, uh, think again. Uh, you know, Netflix was once an upstart. Now it is a massive company spending $12-plus billion a year on new content. Next year, that'll be $15 billion. Um, and everyone else is pumping billions of dollars into new, new, uh, new shows. You're, you like Game of Thrones. You like Orange is the New Black. Uh, those things cost huge amounts of dollars to develop. And at some point, someone's got to pay for it, whether they're watching it on a traditional channel or watching it on a streaming service. And let's, let's make it clear. That's someone is us. We are not going to get this stuff for free. And at some point, those cable and satellite companies, they're going to want to make money one way or another. And we're going to have to pay whatever they want us to pay. And it's unfortunately going to be a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't like the sound of mm. that. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. A no. question for you uh, would be, you know, like, uh, obviously, I've said I don't like the idea of it being so complicated, but I'm sure there will be other people, like you've said, who have like five, six, seven, maybe subscriptions to cover all their bases. Do you think people will like there will be some who are happy to do that because at least they're getting what they want? I think there will be. I think a lot of uh, the, the choices that we make now, they all seem to come down to value for the money. In other words, you know, I, I think we expect that if we pay nothing for television, we're not going to get a whole lot back in return, that we have to put something in in order to get some value back. The problem with current uh, uh, services like cable and satellite is we pay a lot of money every month to watch a bunch of channels that most of us never bother watching. 
And so I think there's a, there's a sense that when we watch uh, a streaming service, we're getting better value for the money. And so I think, you know, like I, I think there, there will be a certain segments of the market, myself included, who kind of look at it and go, you know what? Uh, I, you know, I know a little bit about technology. I know enough to make it work or I have a smart kid or a smart nephew or niece. Uh, they can set it up for me. And I think, uh, you know, millions of people out there are going to take the, they're going to take the, the, the bite. They're going to dive in because it's worth it to them. The problem is that people who maybe aren't that tech savvy, maybe don't want to deal with multiple uh, uh, providers, you know, don't want to jump through all of those hoops. I think we're going to have some folks who are left behind as well. And I think the market is going to have to solve that problem. Maybe someone's going to have to come up with an app that aggregates or integrates all of these different services into one remote control, one app, one interface, one screen. Uh, so, you know, we're not there yet. The technology and the process and the business models aren't quite fully baked, but I think there's room for new services to come along so that even people who just want a dead, simple, easy TV, pick it up, press the one button on the remote, and you're watching all your cool stuff, however it gets to you, that in the streaming future, that there's a service like that that works then, like we've been enjoying our TVs for decades. All right. That's what I'm hoping for. Come on, Brainiacs out there, tech-savvy people, come through for me and uh, for a lot of other people, I'm sure, who are just looking at this and feel like it's a bit daunting. But and I hope so. I hope they're listening to you, Carmi. I hope that they are uh, visionaries like you and will get on it. I think it'll happen. I think it's only a matter of time. And, you know, the, the market always recognizes that if if, it, if if there isn't if there's a gap or uh, you know kind of like an opening that uh, or a, a need or a demand that isn't being serviced, uh, someone smart will come along and fill that gap. And so I think the same thing will happen here. Right now we're still in that early Ford Model T stage of the streaming uh, uh, industry, and I think it'll take a little while for everyone to kind of for all the dust to settle down. It's like a snow globe that's being shaken. When everything kind of settles down, you'll start to see some new services, new solutions that pull it all together, make it easier to use. Um, right now, you still have to kind of build it yourself like Lego, but in future, uh, it'll, it'll come fully assembled. We'll pay for it, of course. And so if, if we think that we're getting, a, you know, sort of cheap television, there will be no cheap television in the future, just like there is no cheap television today. But at the very least, uh, it'll be just as easy to use eventually, uh, and most of us won't have to keep jumping up from the couch when we want to watch a different movie or a different sports program. It'll all be right on our remote later, just as it is now. Perfect. Okay, we'll go from Model T to a McLaren, and I will hope for the McLaren. <laughs> I'll be right there with you. Perfect. Well, Carmi, as always, thank you for filling us in on the latest trends in tech and uh, kind of parsing through this with us to explain. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks very much for having me, Jeff. Okay, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to know, do you have multiple streaming platforms? Am I a bit of a dinosaur that I only have one? I don't know. I feel like, like I said, it's a bit complicated. Number to call and give me your thoughts on streaming. If you have more than one platform, do you have zero? Let's find out. I want to know. Did you cut the cord and just have nothing? Like no cable, no no streaming? That's very interesting. I know someone, we're going to talk to them, <laughs> who is just like that. Uh, number in the newsroom, or rather for the talk, is 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. Or if you want to tweet at me, I'm my handle is jessbrady980. Okay, quick break. We'll be back. Call me. See, tell me, do you have multiple streaming platforms? Am I a dinosaur? It's very possible. <laughs> we'll be right back on London Live on 980 CFPL.
Welcome back to the program. We're down to our final few minutes here on London Live. And before we went to break, I said, call me, tell me, do you have multiple streaming platforms? Do you have zero? What's the deal? And as if on cue, well, actually, it literally was on cue. Bob called us. Hey, Bob, what's the deal? Do you have streaming platforms? One, none, many? How? What's going on? I got uh, cable service. I don't stream. Yeah. I, find, I got a cable service right like everybody else. I got like, I don't know, 700 channels. Oof. So I got some, well, you know, I, you don't get them all, but, you know, it's listed as 700 channels. So what I find is I pay for 700 channels and I often find nothing's on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you know, it's it's just a bunch of cultural junk. Some of these programs today, I mean, I got the time of day for it to watch, right? So uh, if I had it my way, actually, if I had the whole full 100% say in my, in my household, I wouldn't have cable at all. Oh, I would only miss my sports. Like I, I watch <laughs> my hockey and, and you know and Seinfeld and Queen of King or King of Queens or something like that. Yeah, you know something to make me laugh. But as I flip through the other channels looking for something, and I'm not, I don't keep up on all these new shows. And sometimes I stop and I look at some of these new shows. And I'm like, how many more cop shows can you possibly put on TV? You know, I'm sick of that, <laughs> honestly. But I don't see what the panic is all about because if people. If there's some individuals, and maybe there is, I don't know, but if there's people out there who, in the future, because of the changes that are coming, like Carmen and, uh, what's it, Carmen? Yeah, he explained. It's like, get a life. If you got to worry about having seven, seven different streaming, uh, you know, uh, companies you have to pay a monthly fee for, yeah. what are you doing with your life? Are you inside just huddled in your basement watching... <laughs> like 24-7 TV or whatever, you know, something like that, because I find it ridiculous how much emphasis people put on having this, all these channels or, you know, streaming or Netflix or Crave TV. And uh, I don't know. I mean, that's just me. I look at the programming and I just don't waste my time. It's cultural junk to me, a lot of it. And Hollywood, with the, the crap that they put out, like just give me, you know what I find myself actually watching on the cable channel is the uh, uh, Turner Network, the old movie. Oh, yeah, Turner Classic Movies. Yeah, yeah. I watch that more than anything else when I watch movies. And you know what I find after I've kind of reconnected with that um, is that was like the golden era of, of, of film. Yeah. They, like, it's actually people who can act. You know, like literally great actors and actresses, and the storylines and the writing was superb. Mm. It's not all the special effects garbage and the shoot 'em up. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm it's sick and tired of that. certainly a different, uh, a certain different day and age now for entertainment. And, and Bob, I'm going to have to let you go there. I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off, but thank oh, you so no, much for calling and right. for sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it. You have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you as well. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, it's the entertainment landscape has certainly changed, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to leave it there. Uh, but thank you so much to everyone over the last few days that I've been hosting Kelly Wong, my fantastic producer Jacqueline Carbone, who stepped in as well to chat with us. Craig Needles, Devin Peacock, everybody. Mike is back with you on Monday. Thank you so much. That's it from us at London Live. Have a great rest of your day. Stay cool.